And this month, we're kind of going through what made Jesus human to, to talk about a lot of his human elements. And so with that, we're going to go through one of the stories that is just a very heartfelt story. It, as they say these days, it gives you all the feels. Uh, Jesus was feeling all the feels in this story. Uh, there, there's just so many emotions that are going through Jesus, that are going through his friends, going through uh, his disciples, and we're going to be talking about Lazarus. Uh, so we're going to be in John 11. I'm just warning you, uh, I, this may be the longest passage of scripture I, I have ever read uh, on a Sunday service. It's, it's a it's a long one, but it's an amazing story. And so I want you to listen to this story because it's really, from beginning to end, it's captivating. If you've never heard this story before, then it is going to be something that has a, a great twist ending to it. And if you heard it before, I just want you to listen with new ears so that God will give you life through his scripture, and then we'll talk about it. So I'm going to start in John chapter 11, verse 41, and you can follow with me on the screens. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, him who, him who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll, he'll recover. He'll be fine. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant talking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but, G but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but when it was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and in his spirit and his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would open up our hearts to receive your word this morning. God, I thank you for what you want to do in our hearts. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just be among us, calling on our hearts and convicting us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a very intense and emotional story. One of the most emotional that we get in Jesus' life. That's why we wanted to cover it today. It involves a lot of Jesus' close friends. It involves his disciples. It involves the Jews. And so we want to kind of unpack things that we learn about Jesus in this story. Because there's, there's three main things as I was reading this story that had kind of just really blew up in my face uh, as I was studying and praying on this scripture this week uh, that I want to unpack with us, that I think God will really speak to us through. The first thing uh, that I want us to look at is this, that Lazarus died for the glorification of God. See, three times Jesus explicitly says, why Lazarus has died. And I want to read those really quick to us. Three times Jesus kind of talks about how this is for his glory. In verse 14, in verse 4, it says, The illness does not lead to death. It is for what? The glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In verse 14, it says, Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died, and not for your sake, I am glad that I was there. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. In verse 40, to end the story, it says again, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? What's really interesting about this is as you read the Gospels and you read the, account, uh, the accounts of Jesus' life, you realize something that's really interesting, that God had specifically set up encounters for Jesus that would show his glory to people. And this was not the only one that we read about. But what's interesting is, is the encounters that God sets up for Jesus to walk through isn't the encounters that we think about today. Because we think about, you know, this Lazarus dying and then being raised from the dead, like someone having to go through illness, dying, a family mourning. That, that's not what you think about when you think, oh, God's going to show his glory. Just a couple of chapters before this, we read about another story where God shows his glory in an interesting way. 
Uh, and, and the author, John, alludes to that story in verse 37. He says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So two chapters prior to this, right before this happened, Jesus goes and he heals a blind man. And the people that were surrounding Martha and Mary at this point had witnessed that. And so they were asking around, isn't the guy who just, why couldn't he just come a little bit earlier? He could have prevented this man from dying. But I want to read what happens in that story in chapter 9. Because it's really interesting if you kind of start thinking through a theme of Jesus and God being glorified. It says in verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Something that you need to understand, to kind of understand what, what the disciples' line of thinking, thinking here, is that in ancient Near East culture, how a God blessed and cursed people, uh, or how people perceived blessing and cursing was really interesting. So they perceived that if somebody had a lot of kids, if somebody had uh, prosperity, if they had a lot of wealth, and if somebody had a lot of health, that meant that they were righteous before their God's eyes, that their God was blessing them. They were doing everything right uh, before their God. And so uh, the Jews kind of would view the way God treated them in this way too, that, man, if somebody was doing really well in life, that means that they were righteous before God. They were, they were doing really well. God was blessing them. On the reverse of that, if somebody was sick, if they were barren, if they didn't have a lot of money, they just didn't seem to come by these things, that meant that they were doing something wrong, that God was angry with them. God was punishing them for some reason. And so the, the disciples are asking, well, who sinned? Somebody did something wrong against God. You know, if you read a lot of history, you realize that whenever cultures would be defeated by another culture, what would happen is there was usually a, a national lick looking towards God because they would think, man, we did something wrong towards our God, that he's angry with us, that he's letting other people conquer us. But Jesus kind of flips this whole thing on its head because if you realize, if you read the Old Testament, you realize something that every time Israel prospered, it was never because they weren't sinning. Because if you know the history of Israel, you realize that they were a people that were constantly in sin. And so when God would show his promises to them, when he would give them prosperity, when he would give them land, when he was helping them win wars, if you kind of read the context clues, he says things like, I'm not doing this because you've been good. I'm doing this to show my glory to the other nations. And so what does Jesus say here? He says that this man wasn't born blind because he sinned, but he was born blind. Why? Because I was going to do a work that would show you the glory of God. So we look at this and we realize that if we want to see God's glory, it may happen a little bit differently than what we expect. The second thing I want us to learn from this is that Jesus is Messiah. Now, how this is learned in this passage is, is very interesting because we learn it through how Martha and Mary respond to Jesus and ask him or, or say the same statement to him. 
If you read the passage, it's, it's really easy to miss, actually, that Martha and Mary actually come to Jesus and they say literally the same exact thing, word for word. They say this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both say the same thing. But there's a difference in how they say it because Mary stops her statement right there. Mary ends her thought. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's done. When you leave it right there, it, it sounds very accusatory. It shows unbelief in Mary's heart. And this causes a lot of reactions from Jesus. You see that he gets angry, he gets sad, and ultimately it causes him to weep. It says in the text that Jesus loved Lazarus. The Jews say he loved them. The disciples say that he loved him. But yet, Jesus was greatly troubled, it says, and deeply moved. Now, the Greek word, when you look at the deeply moved, it actually means indignant. So when Mary asked this question of Jesus, and it says that he was deeply moved and that he was greatly troubled, it's saying that he was indignant at her accusatory statement towards him. And this causes... Jesus to feel all these different types of emotion. You can see the indignation, the kind of anger of what's happening, why are you accusing me right here, but also the sadness of seeing the weeping going on around him of somebody that he loved had died and, and all of the kind of people that were in the moment incredibly sad and mourning. And Jesus weeps. Jesus is not dull to the pain He's not dull to the unbelief, and he's not dull to the sadness that is around him. You know, it's, it's, it's really easy to look at Jesus and say that, oh, he's above my pain, or he, he's above my grief, or he, he's above my unbelief towards him, that, you know, he, he's just an emotionless being. But that is not true. Jesus deeply feels the emotions of the people around him at this moment, so much that it causes him to weep. But then Martha says that same exact statement, but she adds something. In verse 22, it says, But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, Mary had disbelief. She was accusing, but Martha, she had belief. Jesus consoles Martha after she says this. And after Jesus consoles her, Martha says this. She says, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus is telling Martha, don't worry, he's, he's going to raise. Martha says, I know. I know in the last day he'll raise with everybody else. See, this thought in Martha's head was, you know, it was kind of like, thanks, Jesus. You know, I appreciate that. I know one day he'll, he'll be with us again. It was a far off thing to her, the resurrection, the, the Messiah, even, even in her approach to Jesus when he says, do you know who I am? She says, you are the Messiah who is coming into the world. See, to Martha, Jesus was not present. The resurrection and the life was not yet there. It was something that was far off, something that, hey, in the life to come, I know, you know, we'll all be together one day. Thank you, Jesus. I appreciate that. But... As soon as she says this, Jesus immediately responds to her, and he says, I am here now. 
This is not a far off thing I'm talking about. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus reminds her, he is the resurrection. He is the life. And whoever believes in him will never perish. See, Jesus' power and his messiahship and what he does as Savior is not an abstract thing that we believe to be in a far-off future. It is not something that it's like, oh, you know, that's cool. It's going to have a repercussion, you know, uh, in another time. Jesus and heaven are not far-off abstracts. And it's really easy, like Martha did, to say this. Like, oh, you know, I understand. That's, that's cool. Like, this, that's, you have implications for, for, after, for the afterlife. But Jesus reminds Martha, no, I am a present reality. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And I am here among you right now. This is not something that we're talking about in the future, Martha. This is something that we're talking about that literally what is standing in your presence is the Messiah that you say is coming. Literally what is standing in your presence is the resurrection, is the life. I am he who was to come. And he's saying, I am a present reality to you. It's very easy to think of God and Jesus and Messiah as abstracts. Oh, that was in the past, or oh, it has something to do in the future. But really, he is a present reality, his resurrection and his life. And the third thing we learn about him is that Jesus has power over death. See, everyone believed and knew that Jesus had power over sickness. Even the Jews that were there that were um, unbelieving for the most part believed that he had power over sickness. They, they, in the story, they said he healed the blind man just a little while ago. He could have healed this person too. But nobody really believed that Jesus had ultimate power, power over death. See, because, yeah, power over sickness, you pray for somebody, they got healed. Even though that's not something that occurs every day, it's still in the realm of plausibility a lot of times. But somebody having power over death, that is something that for eons people have been trying to cheat. Right? Even today, billionaires, there's constantly articles being written about how they are spending their money to find ways to live longer. We make movies all the time. Like Prometheus, if you've seen that movie, it's, about, it's a sci-fi about this man that really wanted to live forever and the money that he spends towards that, trying to find the creator so he can find this kind of spring of life that would make him live beyond what he was supposed to. That's a thought. It's a dream. It's a far off. Nobody actually believed that Jesus had power over this. But yet... Jesus displays his true and ultimate power by calling Lazarus out. After proclaiming who he was, Jesus then demonstrates who he is. 
He says to Martha, I am the life, I am the resurrection. But he doesn't only just proclaim, he also demonstrates this. By calling Lazarus forth. And I love this prayer. He says, God, I'm praying this only because I know you've answered my prayer already. I know this is going to happen. But just because I want them around me to believe what's about to go down, I'm going to pray this prayer for them. I love it. I mean, that is like, I don't know, it's like when you go into a game and somebody really knows that they're going to win. Like, Jesus really knew what was about to happen. There was no doubt. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what happens? The man comes out. What's amazing about this is that this passage, so long I've, I've just read it at face value, you know, that Jesus has power over death, and we get to see him display what he does best, his ultimate authority. But also what is the culmination of the understanding of Jesus that I believe is what the author is also trying to get through here is that God will set up hard times in our life to reveal his glory, not only to me, but to people around me. I want to say that again. God will set up hard times in our life to reveal his glory, not only to me, but to people around me. I want to share a story with you. Um, I own a business. I, when I graduated high, uh, college, uh, one of my prayers in college was, Father, I, I want to be able to go into ministry, but I want you to be able to supply for that to happen. Um, and actually, I started because I, uh, one of these prayers was on my heart, and I didn't understand what I was supposed to do, and so I went over to Christian's house for a weekend, and I just asked him, I was like, Chris, can I come over? Let's pray for the weekend, uh, and I, I want, I, I, coming away from this weekend, I want God to speak to me about what the next step should be, and so me and Chris and I, we prayed, uh, and it was clear God was calling me to start a business, and so I went and started this business. Now, fast forward five years later, this is a year ago, uh, the business was going through our hardest time that we had had. So hard, God had blessed us through time after time after time, but it just seemed like from January to July, every deal, every proposal, everything had dried up. I did not get one deal, one new proposal. It was awful, so much so that I, I called Chris again, and Chris is always my crisis management guy when it comes to business and calling and things like that. So I called Chris, and I'm like, Chris, I don't know what we should do. I, I think that it's time to close the business. I think that's what God is saying to do. I'm not sure. It was that bad that we were about to be insolvent. I wasn't going to be able to hit payroll. I hadn't been paying myself for four or five months up until this moment because we just didn't have enough in the bank account. And we prayed on the phone, and I began to pray and see, God, God, what do you want to do? And God said, don't worry. I'm going to take care of this. Just keep going. It's not time to close down the business. Okay. That makes sense to you, but not to me right now. Like, I can look in our bank account. Like, we have payroll, and the amount of payroll and the amount in the checking account just doesn't add. I don't know if you ever went to first grade, God, but there's something called addition and subtraction. And what is going to be subtracted from my bank account is going to be something called a negative number. Uh, that's what will leave me. And banks don't really allow the negative numbers. Uh, they, that doesn't exist in bank language. 
Uh, so we got to do something here. Uh, and then on top of that, Heather was nine months pregnant with Levi. Uh, and we were thinking, and we had just been starting this church plan. So I'm like, all right, do you want me to get rid of this business so that I can focus on the church plan? We don't really got money, but I'll, you know, I'll do it. I got no choice at this point. We'll see what happens. Uh, and literally, the week Levi was born, seven deals closed. Exactly. Glory to God. Because people will ask me all the time, Justin, how do you do it? How'd you start a business? Like, I went to Baruch. It's a business school. Kids all the time, you know, they're still in college. They say, how did you do it? And I can't give them reasoning. I can't say, well, I'm so smart. <laughs> I would love to say that, but I can't say that. You know, I'm just such a winner, you know? <laughs> to quote our near and dear man in the high tower right now. I'm just, I'm really good at life, guys. It's not the case. The truth is, is that, I mean, I was depressed. I'm not going to lie to you. I was sad. I'm about to have a baby. We're just starting the church and my business sucks. This was not how it was supposed to go. But yet God in his infinite wisdom in that said, don't worry, just keep it going. And so when those things come through, I look at it now and I say, I could not have planned that. There is no way that I can say I put my hands on this and it prospered. The only person that can get glory from a scenario like that is God. And let me tell you that there, God has used this to give his glory not only to me, my family, but people around me, even People that look and know my business inside and out see what happens and say, man, I've had this said, God is real. Unbelievers, because of how God has worked. In Romans 8, verse 17 to 18, it says this, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. See, what's interesting about scripture is God's glory and Christian suffering are tightly linked. And you cannot separate the two. So many times in our lives, so many times in scripture, you will see God glorified through the suffering of his people. And we have a choice when that happens. We can be like Mary and we can say, Lord, where were you? And we can drop it and we can leave it at that. We can accuse him. We can have unbelief. And we can say, look at my situation. Nothing like this should happen in life. Where were you? There are times where we have had, it wouldn't have been wrong for us to ask God, where were you? It's the normal response. But Mary left it there. 
we have another choice, and that choice is the choice of Martha. She said, Lord, where were you? But I know if you were to ask God, he would give you anything you asked for. We can act like Martha and allow our suffering to be an opportunity to believe in Jesus and an opportunity to proclaim the good news of who he is. See, life will come and say, you, no more job. You've lost your job. I can say, God, are you going to come through and provide? Or I can say, God, you are all that sustains me. Life will come and bring sickness. And we can, in the darkest, deepest moments of our sickness, when we're feeling the pain, when we're feeling the depression, when we're feeling the loneliness of it, we can say, God, how can you be good? We can also say, God, in you I am whole. No matter what pain no matter what suffering, no matter what my body is saying, I am whole in you. We can be at that place of loneliness where family has turned away from us, where maybe we have friends, maybe we have family, but they just do not understand what is going on in your heart at this season. And we go home, we go to our beds or we take some time to ourselves and we cry. We feel the weight of anxiety. We feel the weight of depression. And we can look at God and we can say, God, do you care for me? Because how I'm feeling right now, there's no reason that I should believe that anybody cares for me or anybody loves me. Or we can say, thank you that you will never leave me or forsake me. Even though I am alone, even though people aren't understanding what is happening, even though my situations do not speak to this, I know that you will never leave me or forsake me. In the midst of our hard times in life, I want to propose to you that that is an opportunity given to us by God to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to have him glorified in our suffering. See, the thing about Christians is we need a theology of suffering because there's suffering all around us. And when we look and we say, God, you can be glorified in this moment, then it gives us an understanding of what is happening to us. I can tell you there is nothing that is a greater testimony than somebody who has lost their job, maybe lost their family, maybe lost everything that they have. And in the midst of that, when people ask them, what is wrong with you? They say, God is good. That will turn the unbeliever's ear to look at them and say, man, if you are in the lowliest point, lower than I have been, and you are able to look to God and say he is good in that moment, then there's something about God that I'm missing in my life. There's something about God that is being revealed to me, that is being glorified in you that I want in my life. Because I've been there. I've been low. I've had hard times. I've been sick. I lost my job. I've had people backstab me. I've been lonely. I've been depressed. I've been to these moments. And suicide was more of a thought for me than glorification of God. 
I didn't have joy, it was taken from me. I didn't have peace, I was anxious. And so what you are displaying right now is more glory to God than I've ever seen in my entire life. God is not most glorified in our big homes, in our nice cars, in our big paychecks. He's glorified when hard times come and we look to him and our heart is revealed and we say, God, you are good. I pray that he would be glorified in this church. Remember the prayers of what that means, that he would be glorified in my life. That God, no matter what happens, Father, we pray that we would not waver and that we would not walk away, but that you would use my life, use me to glorify your name. I'm gonna ask that we stand Father, I know there are people in this room. Life has not been lining up with their expectations. Lord, I know that everyone in this room, that down the road, life will not be lining up with our expectations. Lord, I pray that we would look at these situations in a new light. That we would remember who you proclaimed yourself to be. That it is not a far off, it is not an abstract of a future or a past, but it is a present reality, it is a now. That you are the resurrection and the life. That you are the living water that when we drink from your streams, we will never thirst again. Father, that we will have joy and peace that surpasses understanding that when life gets us down, we can look to you and say that we are sustained and have all that we need in what you have provided for us, not in what this world can take and what this world can give, but in what you have freely poured out on your sons and your daughters. Father, we worship you in that name today. Amen.